0: Picture, drop the shadow out of the This is Jennifer Stone with stone's throw. Yes, I just love the way my engineer Thimmy says my name. She gives me three syllables. Jennifer, yes, I get the whole middle syllable there it's classy. Everybody else just says, Jenfer, Jennifer, Jennifer, you know how that goes. Never mind. Today is March 28th, 2006. Oh, my God, it's my oldest son's birthday. He would be 46. Yes, six. Yes, he's always, yes. 2006 means he's 46, born 1960. My God, I have been a mother for 46 years. What a horrendous, horrendous thing that is. Never mind. Okay, people. Uh I was looking today to make a list of all of these wonderful things that you must all read and watch. And I just, you know, soak up the New Yorker. Uh, somebody asked me the other day, is that all you read? I said, no, it's just the first thing I read. Um and, uh, cable television, let's see, tonight you can see the last abortion clinic. <laughs> That's the one clinic left in Mississippi, the last abortion clinic. It's on KCSM at 8 o'clock tonight, Tuesday. That's a PBS station. Check it out, the last abortion clinic. Thank the blessed mother for the good women in the Dakotas. Uh, the, um, women on the reservation there are saying that, uh, they will, uh, they will hold on. They will, uh, you know, use their territory for a clinic. Uh, this situation is appalling, absolutely appalling. But uh, we will, we will, we will keep up the struggle. Uh, let's see what else is on tonight. Uh, hmm, a whole bunch of good stuff. You know, you can see Democracy Now at midnight most days on KRCB PBS. And tonight at, uh, oh, gee, several times on PBS stations, KVIE, you can see Israel, the profile of Israel's next prime minister. You know that guy. Uh, and there's one I love. I, I uh, Maybe next week I can read you a review that I did 100 years ago back in 1980. Uh, it's a show called Death of a Princess, and they keep rerunning it because it's about a Saudi princess who was uh, executed in public back in 1977. They call it a Rashomon-like docudrama. But it's perfect perfect parable, emblematic of uh, what goes on in women's lives. I, I remember it was surreal. There was a woman in a shop, very modern Western lady. She ran a shop and she said, well, you see, the princess was out of line and she had to be held up as an example to the others. Mm-hmm. She and her lover were both uh, killed in a public parking lot. Yes, death of a princess. PBS, KCSM, from 9 to 11. It's a two-hour show. Comes to us from England, of course. And I remember reviewing it in depth for the women's newspaper Plexus 100 years ago. Uh, more and more stuff we have here. Oh, Patty, her story is on PBS tonight. In American Experience, one of those shows, Patty Hearst's tale. And then we have uh, uh, Eugene O'Neill retrospectives. A lot of Eugene O'Neill lately. Uh, one of his plays, The Emperor Jones, is being done <laughs> by, by a woman. And maybe I will have time at a later date to read you some passages and reviews. They've cut it down to 60 minutes. And they have a, a woman doing it in blackface, right? Paul Robeson said it was racist, but he did it anyway. Needed the work, I guess. Anyway, Uh tonight, Eugene O'Neill Plays will be celebrated on KQED, uh KQED Encore, PBS station. It's uh, American Experience, again, is the title on that one, you know. And then they have Eugene O'Neill 9 to 11. And they have scenes done by Zoe Caldwell. I don't want to miss that. Also Al Pacino, Christopher Plummer. Uh, And if you don't like any of those, you can always watch uh, Charlie Dickens' Bleak House on PBS. Uh, Who says TV is... uh, for vidiots i think that some of this stuff is awfully good and next week april the 4th you can watch helen mirren do elizabeth the first frankly i'm a little sick of elizabeth the first we've done enough elizabeth's and henry's um uh, the british royal family <laughs> <laughs> is more generic than yes our founding fathers no today i had had in mind to uh Read you all this stuff about uh, the woman who's taken over Liberia. But we've got to get the story straight before I do that. Uh, let me just tell you where you can find this. Uh, once we find out what has happened to her rival, then we can detail the, <laughs> the history of um, this lady. It's called uh, Letter from Liberia After the Warlords. Uh, can Ellen Johnson Sirleaf remake her nation? I never can tell how to pronounce her name. Last name, it's spelled S I R L E A F. It's by John Lee Anderson, and uh, he used to live in Monrovia in Liberia, so he knows all about it. Uh, it's in the New Yorker of March 27th, 2006. Check it out. It's a wonderful picture of this uh, woman. She looks a bit like James Earl Jones. Uh, Her inauguration, yes, a gala affair, Laura Bush and Condi Rice. (laughs) Anyway, check it out. Today, I want to enjoy myself because it's still Women's History Month, and uh, I know it's very unfashionable to read the, the dark, suicidal women, but they're still my favorites. I identify even more... Uh, actually with Annie Sexton than with Sylvia Plath. It's a strange thing. My absolute favorite is Annie Sexton's prose piece, The Letting Down of the Hair, because it's a parable for the life of the poet. Uh, I have come to understand that the life of a failed poet is not so bad as I thought it would be. Uh, (laughs) Annie Sexton died a possible suicide in 1974 though she was a suicide don't be silly uh she was 45 years old and uh in 1964 there's a letter to a friend in which she writes i am like a stone that lives it's about that time i took the name stone and i had a whole folder full of quotes about stones and i like that one in particular uh Yes, I shall find a stone, a white stone, and in that stone shall be a new name. She writes, I am like a stone that lives. In this parable, The Letting Down of the Hair, Annie Sexton lives in a stone room, she says, a stone room as still and clean as a razor blade, and daily she lets down her hair. (laughs) Yellow, yellow hair. Brush. Brush. (laughs) Before I begin, uh, in case I uh, run out of time, I want to remind you that there is a fantastic biography of Annie Sexton out by Diane Middlebrook. Check it out. Diane Middlebrook. Uh, We had Diane on here a few years back, and uh, that's still just about my favorite uh, biography of... um, woman poet in our time I remember when Anne Sexton died I remember reading letters in which she said that uh, well she did not say directly but uh, what I read into it was that her sex life was winding down at 45 she'd begun to uh, lose her figure yes she said she was becoming large around the middle like a spider and uh, for some reason or another, this signaled uh, this signaled a kind of death for her. And so she decided to leave us. I remember going through the same phase. All I did was quit drinking and smoking. And uh, <laughs> I felt much better. Anyway, oh, how nice it is not to be uh, a poet, not to be tormented and driven mad by this life. This is Annie Sexton's story, The Letting Down of the Hair. This section is titled, Attracting Thousands. I live in a stone room, far from the luxury of draperies and transistors, far from the movie theaters and coffee houses, far from the men in their business suits, far from the children playing with their Lincoln Logs. I have only the daily newspapers and letters from Ruth. To tell the truth, I'm a recluse. I'm as hesitant as Emily Dickinson. Like a novice, I'm all dressed in white. A recluse, yes. Yet each day I attract thousands. As I said, a stone room like the stones of Chile, like the craggy rocks of Gloucester, that desperate sea coast, the steps of Rome and Michelangelo, and his stone creatures, a stone room. Ah, like a lion in a zoo, I adjust to my environment. I came up here long ago. I didn't hide because I was ugly. I wasn't made of wolf's bane. I wasn't made of kidneys. I was made tall and of yellow hair. I'd had a normal life. Men and lipstick, daiquiris and sunburns. My skin was the color of a teacup. Fair but fragile and Hair, yellow, yellow, hair, brush, brush. A stone room, as still and clean as a razor blade. All the time of the child in me, this room was my secret. Oh, Mr. Man in the Moon, where was your radar? Memory, memory, here is your knife. A room to crawl into and hide, better than the laundry chute. "'better than the broom-closet, "'a room unused except by birds. "'Yes, as a child, "'I would enter through a closet, "'standing tiptoe on a chair, "'up through the trapdoor "'into the forbidden. "'The dead maybe live up here, "'groaning every hour "'as they keep watch from the lookout window. "'Mother can't find me, little yellow-ball.' "'Father, you could find me if you would only look. "'But father is too sleepy to look. Else he'd come flying, come flying. "'Brother, old sneak-mouth, can't find my hide and seek. "'You'll never see me a stone-room five stories up "'the shape of a merry-go-round "'and eleven feet in circumference. "'A room like the inside.' Of a church bell, a chalice, a cave, a perch, queer bird, that I am a hidden place, like the inside of a seed pod, brush, brush. I have never cut my hair, that's something you ought to know right off, it fills the room. The way ten giraffes would, twisting and twisting their long, innocent necks, my hair is innocent too. It knows no better. I have one window in this room. From it can see, over the countryside, the lilacs in April, blushing like ten-year-old ballet dancers, the snows of Valentine's Day, laid out as smooth and as humped as a dentist's chair and then there is the clock tower striking the hour, as faithful as a town crier. But today, this May 25th, the new leaves are green, they are my green ladies, they sing. They call out to me, they are the Christs of the grass. But at night... I watch the lights in the blackness at night, along with the stars, those neon jacks. I watch the crew, and under it the skyline of Boston, the crew stands up like an electrified totem pole, and the planes jet over from Chicago, on their way to Logan Airport, in their bellies. They carry one hundred and twenty people. I am alone. I am in my room. The room is my belly. It carries me. The death of everyone except myself. Here is my mother. On my 18th birthday, she said to me, Why? Hair to the floor. Why? Every time you brush it, you make me feel I'm coming out of anesthesia. But I couldn't cut it. I was faithful to my hair. My father was indifferent. As he walked the rooms of our house... He acted as if he were reading the Wall Street Journal on the window pane. It's as normal, he would say, as coffee for breakfast. Long hair, short hair, who cares? It wasn't normal at all. It was special. My brother, the younger, ever the teaser. What do you want to be taken for, Lady Godiva? My brother, the younger, ever the adorer. Please be mine, like an old-fashioned valentine, and then he printed it out on yellow paper. Your hair is the color of the moon. And Ruth. Hey, dust mop, as my hair caught on the legs of the antique tables. Hey, Spanish moss, as her half-blind and adored greyhound ran after it like a string toy. Ruth. The boy-child making jokes, Ruth the joker, Ruth the girl-child of two suicide attempts, Ruth the desperate, and Ruth the wise, who told the world, as the Arab said, Enlarge the place of thy tent. Brush, brush. "'One night my hair got in the pea soup that Mother was stirring. "'She shouted, the sight of you, the sight of you makes me wish I were dead. "'Next day she got her wish. "'She and my father out driving during a Sunday ice storm, "'on their way to a cocktail brunch of caviar and Bloody Marys, "'kidded in the grey Lincoln, hit a telephone pole, died instantly, Next, snapped. "'My father's cigarette was still burning in his hand when the police arrived.' They were buried side by side, heads loose, two broken dolls. Where was the blessedness? Where were the deep roots that grew me? You'd better cut your hair, my brother said after the funeral, as if I could bring them back with a pair of scissors. After that I came up to my stone room for good. But my brother didn't desert me, little brother, now a man of sorrow, now a man in a plain hood. Yet I couldn't help him. I could only help myself. I lived in a stupor of hair. Brother pushed trays of food up through the trapdoor daily. I have not seen him face to face since. However, he occasionally sends notes. On the first anniversary of my parents' death, the note read, You killed them. You killed them, moon girl. A black curse on you, but that was a long time ago. Yesterday, a note to my middle age. Come down, come down, you yellow-haired martyr. But most of the time, it's just the newspaper carefully refolded and the mail. Envelopes addressed to the lady of the hair. Letters from the people. Once in a while an aerogram from Ruth with its Japanese stamp. Ruth is my only contact with the past. Ruth, my little Zen girl with her short cropped hair. Ruth, the American girl with lovers one after the other long after she was married, Ruth. She changed like a seascape, ever-changing, ever-embracing. No matter what it was, she was faithful to it. She was as obedient to each obsession as an old man washing his feet. The lovers were all types, a drummer on pep pills, then Ruth lapping her own pep pills. (sighs) Ah, Ruth with the foot doctor whose air conditioner gasped like a mechanical fish while they made love. Ruth with her cousin, a precise lover, an accountant, timing his thrust, she said, with a minute hand. Ruth, who, after years of therapy, gave it all up for Zen, watched her mind as a cat watches over a fish tank. She was large with her awareness. She was pregnant with her instincts. She had enlarged the place of her tent. Here in America she found the answer. The puzzle to me is solved, she said with a new grace. Ah, so she said. Brush, brush. Here in my room I have my hair to care for. In the soapstone sink I wash from nine to eleven-forty-five in the morning. Washerwoman, washerwoman, you make yourself dizzy. Washing this hair is a dance, a dance to be done at dawn. There is so much hair, so much sucked up, honey. I must wash it in sections. Room becomes clammy like a sea cave, never dry. I am standing in my bare feet, dipping up and down over the sink, probing the mystery, the parts that are washed. Sit in coils on the floor, wait patiently. It's like trying to wash seagrass, cumbersome, arduous, yet it is my work in life. As it dries, it is owned by the wind. Later, it lies on the stone floor like wheat in a granary. Over the years, people have gathered to watch it fall down and dry out. They call out just as the clock strikes twelve. Lady, lady, let down your hair. I'm becoming a tourist attraction. There's nothing I can do about it. The Grey Line bus arrives daily with a taped recording of facts, usually false, about what I do and who I am. Then there's the college crowd. They seem to have adopted me. Oh, the people have become very devoted." Oh, very disgusted. They often write to me. I don't answer them, of course, for my hair cannot speak, and it's the hair they write to. Fifty letters came just last week in response to a TV crew that came out on Monday to film the letting down of the hair. Here is a sampling of last week's letters. Oh, dear lady of the hair, your hair is haunting and moving. I love it. I couldn't see your face. On our 18-inch screen. But I could see your hair. I could see your lovely old Victorian house. But the psychologist on the show this morning said. Perhaps that for you death was the key. He said that your long hair is a symptom of a phobic fear of death. Don't you know that we go on to a larger life? Don't you know that there is no such thing as death? There is only change. Dying is a glorious experience for the one it happens to, and even for those left behind, it is glorious if we have true understanding Yours sincerely, Beatrice Angle. Okay. Here's one unsigned from New York. Dear Crazy Hair, please help to make the world saner, not crazier. It's bad enough as it is. God bless you and help you. You need help. Okay. Here's one from Susie Perlmutter, San Francisco, California. Uh, dear Matchmaker, Uh we met at your hair up there in Massachusetts. Joel came out from Harvard every week for his senior year, and now we're living together in New York. Last week, he wrote a poem to your hair, but he won't send it. I wish I could write. I'm quite illiterate and have no idea how I passed third grade. Sometimes I think that Joel loves me. Sometimes I think he loves you. I wish I were you. Uh, do you know, when I was, I guess, around six, you know, I looked at my Siamese cat and said out loud, I wish I was you, you're so beautiful, and you don't have to wear any clothes, piece. Okay, here's one from Mary Jane. Dear Lady Jesus, how do you do it? Ten times enough times for the entire universe. And that same feel of wham right in the old solar plexus refuses to give up. You are so beautiful. And I want some of that beautifulness. And I wanted it since a year ago when I first found you. But after last Saturday in Boston seeing you again, I wanted it especially badly. And today I want it even more. Lady, can you spare a dime of yourself for Mary Jane? Okay, last section, Letters from Ruth. Today's mail brought a letter from Ruth, a letter and a crucifix. It's a letter about Christ, about the awful mystery. It is a letter about the sickness unto death. I have found Christ, she writes, Hours on my knees in mental prayer. All my life I have lived in shadow. P.S., she added. I've even discovered what your hair means. It is a parable for the life of a poet. Strange. There beside the Buddha, my little Zen Ruth, and there beside that great green baby, that positive God-face, christ and the place of thy tent she had enlarged once more and the crucifix was wooden and with teeth marks on it the greyhound puppy of course i could hear her saying my dog is christian too ruth has christ and i i have only my hair am i like a poet i mean to ask her about that Very last section titled, The Sickness Unto Death. My hair is almost washed. The people are waiting down below and calling out for me just as I am carrying it over. My brother opens the trap door and speaks. Speaks for the first time in all these years. "'It's bad news,' he says quietly. I stand very still, tangled in the midst of the hair.' Ruth's cousin just called. Ruth's dead. She killed herself. First she hung the dog, and then she hung herself. I am silent, and then I say, Thank you for telling me. And he closes down the trap door. The sickness unto death. Enlarge the place of thy tent. Ruth dead, Ruth gone. THE DOG HUNG UP LIKE A PIECE OF MEAT IN A BUTCHER'S SHOP. RUTH HUNG UP LIKE A THIEF. THIS CHANGE, THIS AWFUL CHANGE. AND I WITH THE LETTER SHE WROTE JUST FIVE DAYS AGO, AND THE CRUCIFIX FROM HER PUPPY'S MOUTH. THE CLOCK STRIKES TWELVE, AND I JUST STAND HERE. It's too late now. I wanted to ask Ruth what my life meant. Ask her about my tent. Ask her about the parable. Now there is no one to ask. There are the people down below calling up. Lady, lady, let down your hair, but I could hardly ask them. This has been Jennifer Stone. I was reading to you Annie Sexton's parable for the life of the poet, titled The Letting Down of the Hair. I will be back on the air Thursday morning at 8.20. Till then, go easy, and if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. There's your picture drop the shadow And still I rise a soul gathering and benefit for our people in New Orleans featuring CeCe Rock from Beta Gulf, Ziggy Lohenberg and Raymond Nat Chernoff from Upsurge Ki Niasha, Kyote, Two Hawks, and Dennis Bernstein, plus a short film on Saturday, April 1st, from 6 to 10 p.m. at the Berkeley Unitarian Fellowship, 1924, Cedar and Bonita, wheelchair accessible.